Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. This week on the show, I have a conversation with Tracy Osborne about the value of learning 80-20 design fundamentals. We talk a little bit about her book that comes out in a couple weeks called Hello Web Design. And we dig into a few topics that I I think are pretty interesting. One is Tracy self-published Hello Web Design and then is now publishing it through a publisher. And we talk through her thought process there. We talk about why these 80-20 design skills or design fundamentals are useful to entrepreneurs or bootstrappers or developers. And I I weigh in quite a bit on that one because that was something, you know, 10, 12 years ago as I learned just enough design fundamentals. I'm not a designer, but I learned just enough to help me in my work as an entrepreneur. And then we dig into some, you know, some basic fundamentals, kind of give an overview of, of a few things in the book. So let's dive into our conversation. If you've been a longtime listener to the show, you'll recognize today's guest. This is Tracy Osborne. She's been on several episodes of Startups for the Rest of Us. You can find out more about her at tracyosborne.com. And today we're going to be talking about her new book. Actually, it's it's a revised version of an older book called Hello Web Design. And Tracy has, uh, she self-published it originally a few years back, and now she is publishing it through No Starch Press. So this is a, a publisher who, um, you know, is cranking out. Are those hardbacks? I think I saw a photo of, of a palette. Yes, they upgraded it from um, paperback to hardback, which was was kind of a nice little uh, compliment on their team's end because they were like, we're going to go ahead and add, like, increase the quality. We're going to increase, there's like a, what do you call it, the little binding that's on the hardback so it can be a contrasting color. Like they added all sorts of little details to it, which was really awesome. That's sweet. I mean, you know, a lot of us, I, I've self-published a couple books and they're all paperbacks because hardbacks are just, they're too cumbersome. You have to buy them in bulk. They are more expensive, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's legit. Yeah. I mean, that, that like kicks off the first question, I think. There's, you know, folks in the audience, you know, there's a lot of, of makers who are doing things other than software. And a lot of folks are going to publish books. I mean, we saw like Keith Perhack published uh, in, in Tiny Seed Batch 2, published a book about marketing funnels. And I think a lot of folks are doing it even when they're, they're SaaS founders as, you know, not only marketing, but, you know, they have that expertise and to, and to show it. So you self-published this and now you're going through a publisher. And I've heard, you know, there's obviously a lot of pros and cons to both approaches, but talk us through that decision process. Yeah, I started self-publishing books, not with Hello Web Design. It was my first book was called Hello Web App, and it was a book to teach beginner web app development like a lot of other startup founders. I was a founder. I started a company called Wedding Lovely. I learned a lot about the process. I taught myself how to code with my my startup. And when I taught myself how to code, I kind of looked back at the experiences I had trying to learn code before before launching Wedding Lovely. And I went to school for computer science and I ended up switching over to art. And there's all these like horrible experiences I had. And so I looked at self-publishing a book as as a way for me to, A, have a a fun side project because I was burnt out of my startup, but also so I could teach programming the way that I thought it should be taught after I taught myself. And I went to self-publishing because, you know, I read all those things about people who work with publishers. Actually, No Starch had given me for Hello Web App, I reached out to them way back in the day and asked them, would be interested in publishing this book? And they said yes. And I ended up saying, like, actually, never mind. I'm going to self-publish this instead. Because the lure of self-publishing is you get to keep 100% of your profits. It just takes a lot more work because you don't have someone who's printing for you, doesn't have someone uh, who's helping marketing for you. And I was in a point of my life of, of working on a startup and needing something else to occupy me. And so did a whole Kickstarter. My background's in design, so I did all the design myself. And it was a really fun process. And so I, I self-published Hello Web App. And Hello Web App is 
aimed at designers. And when I was looking for like something else to do, Hello Web Design came about because I was I have this background in design. I realized I can do the same thing for the other side of the coin. I could write a book teaching design to developers and marketers and startup founders. So same process as before. This is a, quite a few years back. I you know, wrote the book. I got people to help me edit it. I put it, did a Kickstarter. Kickstarter for Hello Web Design was way successful. I think I got $22,000, which was awesome. It helped me uh, do the whole printing process. And then maintaining the book over the, the next year was easy enough, but then I started working at Tiny Seed. <laughs> so then I was like, continuing the marketing and continuing the promotion for the self-published book became harder and harder because I was much more, I, my time was wrapped up in Tiny Seed. So I looked at Hello Web Design being more of a evergreen book as compared to Hello Web App, which was a programming book, Django and Python, and those things are changing so so fast that um, a publisher wouldn't want to upkeep that. But with an evergreen book, I thought that there was a good opportunity that a publisher would want to see the success of what it had, had done so far through the Kickstarter and through the sales I have done and want to bring it into their inventory. And so that's basically what happened with No Search. I went back to No Search. They were the reason I reached, reached out to them before was the reason why I went back to them is that most authors I talked to had a really good ex experience with No Search as compared to some other publishers. And I said, hey, I already have this book. It's written. It's designed. I actually thought I was just going to sell the content to them. But because I had designed it, they decided to just keep everything. We did a whole round of updates to kind of bring it into their style. But the book essentially looks exactly like what I had designed myself, which was another really nice... Um, like to see their confidence in the book and confidence in what I've done. That's essentially the long story short of going from self-publishing a book to publishing a book. What I learned is that I think a lot of self-publishers out there whose content is evergreen, but it's gotten to a point where they don't have enough time to support the book or maybe to do more marketing, maybe they're seeing sales drop off, selling the book's content to a publisher could be a next step for them. Right. And when you when you do that, you get an advance and then the publisher keeps the majority of the revenue, right? You basically get 10% or something. I'm making up numbers. I don't know your contract, but, and it's sliding. It's like audio, you can get more. And if it sells more, you get, there's usually tiers and all that stuff. So there's a contract and then they, they essentially own the copyright at that point, right? Exactly. And no search is upfront with the, the events and the, the percentage that you get. And I can't remember what the exact numbers are right now, but essentially I got a few thousand dollars and I think I'm keeping 10 to 12%. So it's not that much, but again, I was kind of was just done with the book at that point. And I didn't want to go through another Kickstarter campaign or another like press push, especially again, I'm working at Tiny Seed. I'm very busy at Tiny Seed. I didn't want to do all that. So it was nice to have this company be like, okay, cool. We're going to help run the marketing. And it does give me an opportunity to say, A, I'm a, I am now a published author because before I always felt like that was kind of silly and I was saying I self-published a lot. And so now I'm like, boom, I am actually a published author. And it allows me to say, hey, this book is coming out again. I can use this to pitch conferences. I can use this to pitch other press. I can use it to kind of get back to start doing conference speaking, hopefully as COVID, <laughs> like hopefully as COVID gets better and conferences start up again, I would like to do some conference speaking again. And that's why I used the book before, did quite a few design panels and talks beforehand. So it was an opportunity to kind of like bring it back into the spotlight without not having to do a lot of work for it. Right. And that's, it's an interesting way to think about it of like self-publish it first, such that you you know, you get the lion's share of the profit when you're marketing to your own audience. I mean, that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit, right? Is if you have your email list, your Twitter following, your Insta following, whatever, and you do capture that revenue. And then as a subsequent step, you know, you've, you've gone and done this. 
I've been talking to Sherry because she just signed a book deal for, it's a book about grief. And she also had a similar thought process. She did not self-publish that first, although, you know, her first book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, we did self-publish. And her thought process there was a book about grief is definitely more of a horizontal book. You know, it's just a widespread, the audience is much larger. And frankly, even across her and my followings, I just don't know how much it's not going to have the same amount of traction, I think, you know, as the entrepreneur's guide and going through a publisher gives her reach because the the publisher already has this, this audience, right? This audience of people who expect like no starch already has designers and developers looking, you know, it's like a more technical publisher and similar with, with Sherry, her publisher sounds true. I believe it's called, they publish a lot of, you know, psychology and you know, mental health and spirituality and that kind of stuff. And this is an intersection of a, of a lot of that. Cause I've, you know, I always struggled. I've only self-published books, right? I haven't gone through publisher. And in fact, I did talk to several publishers in the early days when I was writing Start Small, Stay Small, you know, as a decade ago. And I did start talking to a few of them about the potential of publishing. You know, I think for me, given that I had the audience and I, I didn't want to give away 90% of the profit and I was willing to do the work and honestly pretty interested in doing the work. Like I wanted to learn what it was like to, to actually have a cover designed and, you know, and, and typeset it or not typesetting is not the right word, but like pick the fonts and just make the book happen, buy it, ISBN. I wouldn't do that again. This time I would hire more of that out. But yeah, it, it is an interesting trade-off. And I think I used to be more black and white about it of like, well, the publishers take everything and but there's a lot of there's a lot more nuance to this, I think, than than people realize. Yeah. And it you know, again, you can self-publish and then move it to onto a publisher. It's something I never realized or never even thought about when I first self-published my books. Um, and so now I'm kind of just trying to share the works. I know there's so many people out there who have written really great content that don't have the time to promote it. And that content kind of just fades away and there's other opportunities to share share it and get 10% of the profits and, you know, get an advance and whatnot. Not a lot of money, not as much as if you did a whole press push again, but just enough that you can keep that content alive. Let's mix things up a little and, and switch topics because I want to talk about the more the content of the book itself, right? It is an effectively teaching fundamental design skills to entrepreneurs or to developers or anybody really. And so I think like the first question that comes to mind is like, why are these design skills useful to the startups for the rest of us audience, right? You know, there's a bunch of, there's a lot of developers, there's some designers, there's a lot of mostly bootstraps and bootstrap founders. So why should they care? Like why might they want to go out and pre-order this book, for example? By the way, nostarts.com slash hello-web-design. And we'll also put that in the show notes, obviously. But book's 20 bucks and PDF, 25 bucks in... Uh, is it a hardcover? The it is hardcover. Is hardcover. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's actually relatively inexpensive. So It is a shorter book. So that's one of the reasons why, while it's a hardcover, it's 25 bucks, but I think it's going to look really great. Yeah. So why why is this important to, to an entrepreneur or a bootstrapper? Right. Yeah. I think a lot of my career has been around like how great it is to have skills in multiple areas. So having just enough skills in sales and marketing and development so that I can launch these projects. So I've self-published these books, but I actually have a whole platform that I use to sell them on my own end called the Hello Web Books. And so, I mean, this whole selling platform and dashboard, I have my videos there. I have all the content for all my books there. People can like log into this website and buy the books and read everything. And I've coded all of it. 
And because I could do every single bit of this, I could do the design, I could do development, I could do the marketing for this platform. I've been able to do more faster without having to rely on people, rely on hiring contractors and going through that whole process of working with other people. It's been really great to just do it myself and get it out there. And so when I talk about design skills, and by design, I mean not HTML, CSS, front-end development stuff. I'm talking purely the visuals, the user interface, user experience. There's so many people out there who are working on their bootstrap companies, they're working on launching a side project, they're working on their first, first SaaS. And the design side of it, if you don't have a background in design, can be really intimidating because you know that's what the customers are seeing, you know that's what the customers are using. So I wanted to write a book so that people can be more efficient, they can be more, I guess, quote unquote, unicorns, where they can get just enough design skills so that they feel comfortable designing these interfaces themselves so they can get their projects out faster. And not just interfaces, I think this also applies for slides if you're doing talks and whatnot, you're doing Keynote or, or those other platforms. So designing your slides, designing your personal website, designing your SaaS. If you can do the design yourself, I think you can do a lot more. And this book is different than other design books because I'm not teaching you to become a designer. I don't go into the theory. I don't go into all those like little skills that you'd want to know to be a quote unquote proper designer. This is just like the shortcuts. It's like the fundamentals and the shortcuts. So you can get just the, they were a little dangerous, you know? Right. 80-20. Yeah. The 80-20 of it. So you can get, you can feel comfortable doing it yourself. If you want to become a designer afterwards, if you decide that you love design, you can use this book as like kind of a platform to then read more traditional learn design books, or you can just take this like basic set of skills and just allow it so you can launch your projects and do design faster. Right. So a couple things. Earlier you said unicorn and you didn't mean billion dollar valuation. You meant oh, no, I mean the very other one. <laughs> unique, like you're both a designer and a developer, right? Or a designer plus developer plus entrepreneur or whatever. Yeah. There's a big piece of this that I want to drive home what you've just said. It's that the less you have to, especially in the early days when budgets are tight, time is tight, timelines are tight. Anytime you have to rely on someone else, like a contractor to get back to you, or even one of your team members who might have other priorities, that slows things down, right? It either costs money or it costs time. And so I'm not a designer and never have proclaimed to be, but I learned enough. And, you know, I wish Hello Web Design had been around at the time, but I learned enough and dug around on the internet and read a few design books such that I could download, you know, let's say 10, 15 years ago when I was super bootstrapped and super cash strapped, I would download landing page templates that I would buy, you know, on Theme Forest or something for 10, $15. And I would put up landing pages and they would look good enough. They were, it's 80-20, right? They were not phenomenal. I didn't design it myself, but I knew, you know, the concepts you talk about in this book are things like using a grid, colors, typography, white space, layout and hierarchy, user experience, images and imagery, and all of that stuff. Even if I, I, I know just enough that I can get a landing page up and it doesn't look like crap, right? And you also mentioned slides. Sometimes I have a designer help me with my slides and other times I'm able to put them together myself. And if I'm able to put them together myself, it's so much better because I don't have to rely on someone else. Even blog posts and like long essays that I want to add imagery to or add balance or break up walls of text, this type of thinking helps. And, you know, I'll bring up another example. Anytime I work with a designer, if they're a phenomenal, expensive designer, then I don't really need to know much. But I've often worked with designers due to budget who are, who are good but not great in every area. And like when we redesigned startupsfortherestofus.com, for example, the designer was good, but you know, we were on a budget, obviously. And 
I had quite a bit of feedback that I think made the design look better. And he had a good concept and a first step. But I remember looking at it being like, yeah, these things are off. And again, it's not that I could do the design, but I could tell what was off. I have enough taste, you know, that I could, and, and taste I'm defining as just knowing a lot of these concepts, it's these rules of thumb of like, oh, there should be more white space here, or there's too many colors, or why do we have five fonts on this page? You know, those weren't actual examples that happened, but they can, right? If you hire an inexpensive designer, if you go to Upwork and hire someone for 15 bucks an hour, you might need to know these things in order to wind up with, with a good product. Yeah, exactly. And there's a whole chapter in the book I titled Training Your Design Eye. And a lot of people will say, like, how do I know what's good design? So like, A, it's A, noticing those principles and knowing those fundamentals like you talked about. But there's also a part about thinking critically about other designs, which I think help a lot of people who are not designers themselves to kind of pick out what makes a good design. So if you get to a website and you're like, dang, this is a good website, you know, take a moment and kind of break it down. Try to think critically about what makes it a good website, because the more you, you kind of insert that into your brain, the more you can regurgitate it later in your own designs. So it could be a phenomenal experience with like the nav is just great. You know, maybe it has a really nice user experience of the nav. Maybe you notice that the, the illustrations that they're using are particularly nice. There's a lot of white space. I do some of these breakdowns. I did one quite a while ago. Maybe I'll give it to you for your um, show notes, where I broke down Savvy Cal's website and I kind of listed out all the little design details on the Savvy Cal website so people can notice those details and then they can better remember them when they're doing their own design. So it's kind of like that critical thinking part when looking at good design is going to help people become better designers or at least become better at seeing and being able to critique designs like that other people um, give to them. Right. And Savvy Cal is a good example because that's that's obviously Derek Reimer's app. Most people will have heard of him as listeners of this show or of the Art of Product podcast. But Savvy Cal is such a good example because Derek is that, the unicorn you mentioned earlier, right? He's a full stack developer plus a designer, really, really good designer actually. And every site he has done, because I've worked with Derek gosh, for almost a decade. I mean, I don't, he and I don't work together anymore, right? But he, you know, he and I worked, he helped me with Hittail, then Drip. Yeah, just years and years of working together. And I was always struck by his designs are very simple. They're very, they're sparse. They are minimalist. I mean, every time I was always like, and yet it looks easy. He makes it look easy. And I'm always like, how did you do that? And, and I've sat and watched him for hours. Like I'll peer over and watch his design process and I'll watch him look at his screen and I'll watch him just take things away, take things away and just keep it very simple. And so I do, I remember that Savvy Cal breakdown that you did and it's like, it looks easy, but it's not like the way his level of design, because I've sat down and tried to like kind of do something that's simple and it looks simple. It doesn't look good. You know, it doesn't look as sophisticated, I'll say. Yeah. And that relates to actually the first half of Hello Web Design. You know, if it, I was going to tell someone what was the one thing, the number one thing to remember if you're saying, I want to become a better designer, what do I do? And I say, reduce clutter. And you can reduce clutter in your content by making things shorter, tighter, easier to understand. You can reduce clutter in your colors by reducing your color palette, making things simpler. Reduce clutter in your fonts. That's where that rule of thumb of only two fonts per design comes from. Reduce clutter in terms of your layout by having a grid. You kind of have this like invisible skeleton to your design. So all these like principles I really, I go through chapter by chapter in the book all relate to just reducing clutter. And obviously there's Great designers out there that can make things that are very busy and yet work super well, but that's because they're 
awesome designers. But if you are someone learning design and you want to just know one thing, aiming towards simple and clutter-free is going to get you, that's honestly, that's the 80-20. You know, that is going to get you most of the way there if you just look at every piece of your design and just try to reduce clutter. Another chapter of the book that I liked is chapter 3.3, Prototypes. Process of sketching your ideas and making prototypes will help you play with solutions and try out different ideas faster than if you move straight to coding. And then you have some hand sketches, and then you talk about kind of iterating on those, and then you talk about wireframe tools like Sketch and Balsamic and UX Pen, several I hadn't heard of. I think that chapter alone is likely for, you know, especially early stage founders who maybe have are trying to get an MVP, have never done wireframes and all that. Talk us through a little bit of, you know, your thought process on mocking up designs and getting wireframes out. So there's things out there like Tailwind, Evan Wathen's design framework that a lot of entrepreneurs use to do designs, which is awesome. The designs that come out of using this Tailwind framework look really, really good. And so I find a lot of people who want to launch their first project are like, oh, cool, design's taken care of for me. I can just take my content and the things I want to build and just throw on Tailwind and then you'll have a quote unquote design site. There's a reason why I want to recommend a prototype in between that and starting out something which is like sketching. I think a lot of people who are new to design want to stay, if they're used to being on the computer all day long, they don't want to go off the computer and start doing hand sketches. But when you can do hand sketches, don't worry about Tailwind. Don't worry about the colors, the fonts and everything. The first thing you should look at is just sketch out kind of like boxes and lines, how your layout would be for the thing that you want to build. And don't just do one, maybe do one layout and then be like, okay, what else can I do? What if the nav is going to be in the middle? Maybe it's going to be a shorter, smaller column of information. Maybe this piece of my my project should be in a different place. And when you can work with just pen and paper and and just sketch things out, you can play with more layouts faster than if you are going into CSS and trying to switch out where the columns were, where their things are going to be. You're going to be a lot more constrained if you jump straight into code and you start relying on some of these frameworks. And this is going to pull out, I think this, this helps a lot when it comes to content, because when you're just kind of sketching out lines, you can kind of see that you, oh yeah, you don't want a giant wall of text here, you want something short so you can get to that next piece of your homepage, maybe that features block, maybe the next thing will be people's uh, testimonials. You can kind of like figure out where those things land before you move into to code. So step one is just pen and paper, just being super fast and efficient. Step two then is you could go into something like photoshops, the sketches, those kind, the basomics and whatnot, and start just doing things. And you can move things around a lot more easily that way rather than just like sketching something new. But the whole process is just, it allows you to play faster with the layout rather than going straight into, say, a typical layout, like something just that you code it in CSS and you just kind of have a column and you have the three columns below and things can look very, very the same between all these websites. And so just having this little prototyping typing process is going to help you move things around faster. Um, and I think that's, a, that's an, a piece that a lot of people miss if they're just, you know, I want to build this project. I'm just going to build the back end. I'm going to have a quick front end and then I'm going to throw a framework on top of it. 
Yeah, I always had a little bit of an issue with, well, it's, it's was 37 Signals, but now it's Base Camps. They had a book called Getting Real, and I think a big part of that was like, don't do mock-ups, just start building in the HTML, CSS, because it's so fast. And and you know what? If you're as good as they are, then go do that. But I'm not that good, <laughs> apparently. And Derek and I would sit down, and you know, then the rest of the product team as we expanded, we whiteboarded the sh- out of things. We whiteboarded everything. And that's the equivalent, right? That was our hand sketching. I mean, I would grab a whiteboard pen, my handwriting and my lines are all crooked and everything, but we would, we have this pretty complex thing. Let's just boom, boom, boom. We'd do it. We'd start to talk through how stuff would work. And we'd realize within seconds, like, nah, that's not it. That's not it yet. And then we'd go and we'd go and we'd go. And sometimes these sessions are 15 minutes and sometimes they were three hours and we would just sit in front of whiteboard. And I think that's one of the reasons that, that the software we built, it was, it's really good. Like it's good solid UX principles. And of course, Derek could have, or, or Brian, you know, the head designer, could have gone into the CSS and probably done a, a good job, but the iteration would have taken longer. And and I know that there are some design agencies or some maybe heavy processes that are like months and months of prototypes and user testing and clicking and paper prototyping and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't do that either, right? I do think you get to the point where it's it's overkill. And so I get, you know, maybe 37 Signals or your base camp was pushing against that at the time, which is fine. But I'm definitely more in your camp of some type of sketch. I didn't tend to use paper because I was doing it collaboratively. And with a whiteboard, it was so much easier to erase. And then we just took a photo at the end, you know, and that that became, we would attach that to an issue of like, this is a new screen or series of screens. It was oftentimes whiteboard sketches, photos of them just slapped in a, well, it was GitHub issues with a little bit of text and that was it. And as long, you know, you had to kind of have been in that session to know all the nuances of it, but that allowed us to move very, very quickly. And from there, you know, doing the CSS itself was not that hard once a lot of the paradigms were ironed out in that fashion. So imagine an onboarding flow, you know, you want page one to be this form and page two is maybe you're getting that, like the credit card and then page three is you get into the app and you have these tooltips. So imagine if you take like post-its, you know, or something like that where you post-it number one is page one and post number two is page two and you have these little quick sketches of boxes and lines and whatnot to kind of figure out what that layout is. But then you decide, oh, wait, no, I need to have a step 1.5 in this onboarding flow you know, you want to add extra steps. You want to like feel for that user experience process. And if you're in code, you know, suddenly adding one point, like step 1.5, you have to go into the back end. You have to like switch over where it's, where it's pointing to. You have to go into that page. You have to design that page really quickly. It's so much slower than if you had a post-it and then you can move post-its around. You can add new post-its. You can sketch over the post-it. You can replace the post-it way faster, quick and dirty. Don't have to do that again, that huge design process, like you said, with those designers, but you just have something just enough that you can get that those that imagination going you know get those those creative juices going and you can kind of realize that your first instinct is often not correct yep indeed well tracy makes tracy makes on twitter <laughs> tracyosborne.com Tracy couldn't get Tracy Osborne on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. If folks, uh, yeah, if you're listening, you're intrigued by Hello Web Design, you should, obviously you can hit the show notes, but nostarch.com slash hello dash web dash design. And it should be uh, released within a few weeks. It'll be released in May of 2021. And this episode will go live in mid-April. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yay. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Tracy for joining me on this week's episode. And thank you 
for coming back and listening week after week. Really appreciate it. And I'll be back again in your earbuds next Tuesday morning.